Today is Sunday, October 21st, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 285 featuring Real GM's Keith Smith is brought to you by LinkedIn. Hurry now to linkedin.com slash Celtics. Get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Celtics to get $50 off your first job post. Today's show also brought to you by 1 in 100. Log on to onein100.com. Co and get a free raffle ticket when you sign up. Feeling lucky? Give it a shot today. Hey, welcome in. All right, full disclosure, this show is being recorded on a Friday. I know it's a Sunday release. I know I just said it's Sunday, but technically it's Friday as we record this thing. I want you to know that because this is not going to happen often. In fact, soon we're going to be moving the Celtics Beat podcast off the weekend altogether for a regular weekend release, but I'll provide more of those details once I have them. I'm telling you about this right now, early in the recording in this rare case, because I don't want you to be sitting there for the next 30, 40 minutes saying, why aren't they talking about the Raptors game? What about Kawhi Leonard's first game against Boston? How are you not discussing this? Well, Part of the reason is that this podcast is not designed to be a game-by-game reaction show. Never has been, unless something huge happens, and then I get screwed if there was a season-ending injury, heaven forbid, against the Raptors. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But it's a big-picture show, and we have plenty of big-picture topics to explore, some carrying over from the offseason, some relating to that first game, which was such a great domination for the season of the Sixers opening night, lingering questions, obviously, that do remain even from preseason. In fact, one of our content leaders at CLNS, John Zanis, he made this point when we were chatting this week, and he's absolutely right about this. In many ways, we're already in off-season mode, even though the season just started. As Celts fans, we're going to enjoy the hell out of this year every step of the way, and I'll continue to tweet up a storm like I usually do, but like the Patriots... Celtics are now in results territory. It's not a big story if they make the East Finals like it would be for the Wizards or for the Heat or somebody like that. It's a big story if they don't. That's how good Boston is and projects to be for the next decade if they stay healthy and retain their top talent. So with that, let's bring in Keith Smith, covers the NBA for Real GM, you know him from the Celtics blog site as well. Keith, how's it going? It's going great. It's you know exciting now the season back and finally able to talk about some stuff we see on the floor versus just making guesses and predictions. It's you know always one of my favorite times of the year when things get tipped off and ready to go and we find out what we were right about and wrong about you know kind of early on sometimes. Well, don't worry. There are going to be plenty of guesses and predictions too. And you, you heard my <laughs> opening little monologue there. And in that same vein. Terry Rozier is a big story. He was arguably Boston's best player in the preseason, looked great opening night. I think he's going to look great throughout the majority of this year. He even played late-game minutes over Kyrie Irving in that first game, and he's playing for a new contract. We know that. We've talked about it on so many of these shows after predictably failing to reach a new deal before the year. But will he make it through this season on the Celtics roster? Yeah, I don't. I struggle to see any way that they move him. I think they like the idea of having the depth. I, I think while they believe Kyrie is fully healthy and there's no risk of re-injury to what's going on, there is the reality that he hasn't always been the most healthy guy, you know, period, uh, really getting back to his time at Duke. He only played in, what was it, 11 games mm-hmm. or whatever while he was there. So, so I think they want to make sure that they have that backup. As you said, it's results time for the Celtics. They're 
they're a contender and they want to make sure that they keep that depth. So there's, it's not going to cost them anything. I think much like a lot of times with Danny Ainge's, the, the minute you feel comfortable, he's not going to make a move. That's what he does. <laughs> but you also need to always think about it's because they're going to have to be blown away for in an offer to move Rozier and they're not going to do it otherwise. Well, you're tied in. You break stories left and right. And, uh, I mean, you had a great summer, picked up a ton of new followers and deserve each and every one of them. And, I mean, really, you were out there competing with the Woges and Shams of the world. So with that, with your inside knowledge, the the resources that you have around the NBA, we keep hearing about the Suns, maybe some other organizations. Are you aware of anyone who has been calling Danny Ainge, pestering him for Rozier, or should anyone be if they haven't been? Yeah, it's the Suns definitely called. I mean, they went on the record and admitted that they called, which is kind of hot. You know, teams don't generally do that, but they, you know, basically said publicly, like, yeah, hey, we we made a run at them, and they that was both with Ryan McDonough and without Ryan McDonough. And the reality is, there was just nothing that they were willing to give up because I think the Suns are looking at it and saying, is this guy the difference between us being a playoff team this year or not? Do we just make a run at him in the off season? What is it? And they weren't willing to put together the package. And that tells me that Danny Ainge is saying, I need a lot for this guy. Because if it was just a pick or, you know, a middling pick and a player, it, it could have got done, but it didn't get done. And that tells me that Ainge is really driving that hard bargain. As far as other teams, there, there's a couple other teams that are you know looking for point guards, but no one that I know of that specifically said, hey, Terry Rogier is our guy. We want to go get him. It was really Phoenix. And once that, I, I hesitate to even say fell apart because I don't even know if it was ever put together. But once those talks ended, it looks like the Celtics kind of said, you know what, hey, we're going to move forward with what we got because we really like the roster we have. Well, and we know Ainge's track record, though, and you hit on some of this. He he hates losing anyone for nothing if he values that guy, and he absolutely values Rozier. Hell, he talks about him like he's another child of his. If Ainge expects <laughs> Irving back and already, as we know, has Marcus Smart under contract, is he realistically going to make a competitive offer to re-sign Rozier, or will he consider flipping him during the year just to ensure that he gets something in return before he walks as an RFA? Yeah, I think what you're going to have to look forward to is see where are they at come, you know, the trade deadline and leading up to it. If they have had injuries in the backcourt, then it's more likely they hang on to Rozier because it's while Ainge is always thinking, you know, five, six, seven moves down the line. I think there's also this year in particular, there's an eye on what can we be this season? They were so close to making an improbable finals run last year. It was, you know, one game and one bad shooting night away from getting there. And now what they're looking at is, hey, we've got all our guys back. But let's say we get into the trade deadline and they've lost a backcourt player. Well, that, that, you know, says to me, it's more likely they hang on to Rozier. And then if you're, you know, flipping it forward and saying, you know, you're into the summer. Well, they're still restricted free agent rights. What all that really means is Danny Ainge has to go to Wick Rouseback and the owners and say, how much can are you willing to spend? How much are you willing to pay to keep this team together? Whether that's we're really close to a title, we were you know in the finals, or we even won a title. What is your luxury tax bill? Because that's all that can hold the Celtics back from keeping this group together. There was a report, Keith, uh, in, in recent days that, the Celtics had offered Terry Rozier $12 million per to stay. He rejected it, believing he can get more in the restricted market next summer, and he's probably right about that. Are you aware of 
there being any truth to that report, first of all, and uh, second to that is what seems like a reasonable number for Rozier? What kind of number should he command? Yeah, I heard it was in the 10 to 12 range, so that sounds about right to me. That is, you know, Danny Ainge being smart and essentially doing the same thing he did with Marcus Smart a year ago at this time, saying, hey, if we can get you on a team-friendly number, great, we're going to do that. The player, again, like Smart did last year, Rozier here and his representatives said, now nah, we're good. Yeah, we'll play it out and see where we're at because that's that's too low. You With restricted free agents, it only goes one of three ways. It's either they're a max guy and it's a no-brainer and you get that done, or they're a near-max guy and you get that done. We saw that this summer with Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, even Miles Turner to some level. Or you get them on a team-friendly number. That's the Justice Winslow deal in Miami. That's you know a contract that's very palatable for the Heat, and that's something the Celtics would like to do with Rozier. Or everybody says, you know what, we still like it. Everything's good, but let's let this play out and let's see how this goes you know, moving forward. And that's really where we're at. Rozier made the right decision. He, in a league where point guard is arguably the most important position still you want to have a good one boston's in the position where they have three of them they have kyrie irving terry rogier and marcus smart all three very good point guards all bring different things to the table but what you're going to look at if you're another team is hey if i believe rogier is the guy he was for portions of the playoffs i'm going to say, you know, I can give this guy 15 to 20 million. And that's a number the Celtics have to look at if he gets that in an offer sheet and say, boy, that starts to get really tough because that's going to make definitely you're a you know, very heavy luxury tax team at that point. This is assuming obviously they retain Kyrie Irving as well. And then what you're going to say is that's a lot of money. And while ownership has said, yeah, we'll pay the tax, you got to believe there's at least some level of, uh, I don't know how much tax they're willing to pay. We'll get right back to Keith. I want to tell you today's show brought to you by LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You can try posting on the job boards, but can you really be sure the right person sees your job? Instead, find the person who will help you grow your business with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. So why not bring your job right to them? Seems like a no-brainer, right? LinkedIn jobs match people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, even how open they are to new opportunities. This way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Hiring the right people can feel impossible. Ask anyone who runs a company how hard it can be to find the right people to help you grow your business. Nobody is more fit to help you than LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been helping people make connections for years. Now LinkedIn wants to flip the script, so to speak. So hurry to LinkedIn.com slash Celtics and $50 off your first job post. Gone. $50 off. That's LinkedIn.com slash Celtics to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash Celtics. Terms and conditions apply. I've discussed this a lot, uh, and I'm not alone. It's not a novel concept. People have written about it as well. I'm sure you have too. It's a very important year for the Seas for some of the reasons that you just outlined. The fact that they won't be able to retain all the depth that they have for very long. Marcus Morris, he's good as gone after the year. He's all but said so. Likely Rozier as well. We know how good the Warriors are, but does it make the most sense to just keep those guys play out the string because Boston believes it can beat Golden State? Or does Danny 
have to be five, six, seven moves ahead with regard to this season and next and the next as well when it comes to all of that. And so I'm going to give you a real cop-out answer here <laughs> and say both. <laughs> but it, it, it really is true. What they need to do is they are very, very close to potentially winning a championship this year. And that is really important. When you get close, you want to maximize and take the best advantage of that opportunity that you can because you don't know if you're going to get there again. You know, people look at it and say, well, look at, you know, Warriors and Cavs the last four years. That's such an anomaly that it's not even a thing. You know, put that out of your mind. Every other team, when they get close like this and you're right on that cusp, you go for it, and then you figure it out after that. Now, Ainge, you know, is a guy who, because of what the roster is, it has a really weird makeup for a contender. They've got all these high-paid veterans who are, you know, in their prime or, you know, just starting to come out of their post-prime years. And then you've got all these kids who are on these, you know, great rookie-scale deals or second-round pick deals or these these fines like Daniel Tice that they you know, got on the cheap out of Europe. What you need to be looking at is what can, what are we doing with those guys? Because when those guys become expensive, so like Rozier is about to be, that's when you got to say, all right, you know, what, what do we have? With him, I think that's a little bit of a different situation because there's some team control. A guy like Marcus Morris, I think you look at it, and if you hit a point in the season where, you know what, He's only playing 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes a night. We've been healthy. We feel really good about it. We feel like if we lose him, we could throw those minutes to, you know, a guy like Shemi Ojale and, you know, really live with it and be okay. Or we're ramping Gordon Hayward up to 30 minutes a game or everybody else can step up and do a little more. That's where you may say, all right, let's flip him down the line and get a draft pick or something like that. And then that leads me into the last thing is contenders don't usually have this uh, treasure chest of draft picks coming, you know, along to fortify the roster. So the Celtics can, in effect, say, we're going to play it out with the roster exactly as it is today. Go all the way to the end of the season, let Marcus Morris walk, and then we're going to replace him with a first-round draft pick or multiple first-round draft picks. Yeah, potentially four. (laughs) Because what do we need? Yeah, yeah, four, which is, you know. Which won't happen, by the way, but it is possible. Absolutely not. Yeah, and and, and I can guarantee you if they have four first-round draft picks, they will not use all four of them. You know, they will trade, they, whether it's trade one for, you know, few, Danny Ainge loves future picks like I love my daughter. So it is, you know, <laughs> move them down the line. <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, just one of those things where it's, uh, you know, you, you, they're, they're going to keep rebuilding that. And that's, that's a very unique situation that contenders aren't in where you have that flexibility and availability to keep adding young talent to the roster and good young talent to the roster. You know, it's funny just because it's been a topic, again, like it always is. I was about to say to you, well, don't forget they could trade for Anthony Davis because at that point in time that whole Rose Rule thing won't be a thing anymore. But then thinking about the timing of it, they can't re-sign Kyrie till after July 1st, which is when that rule is no longer in effect and the draft comes before that. And so that would just sort of confound the whole process of attempting to deal for Davis around the draft. Yeah, what they could do is do one of those deals. This happens all the time in the NBA where the trade is agreed to at the draft, and it's one of those where you go up and you watch the kid put the Celtics hat on, and we all right. know he's being traded to the Pelicans, and you know, and it's this kind of you know charade that we go through and just say, well, you know, it's just how it is. That happens every you'd, single draft. You'd There's have to you'd have to sit on it there. though. You'd have to sit on it though for like a month and a half. You couldn't do a draft night trade. It would be more like Andrew Wiggins going to Minnesota. Um, no, not necessarily because you can trade the player until the player signs. 
So as long as you just as still as long as there's still a draft rights guy, you can do that. So let, let's just say they land that second pick is the best case scenario, and then they say, yo, we're going to package the second pick with some players to to make a deal for Anthony Davis and the Pelicans agree. It's all agreed to. We all know what's happening. Then it's executed July first, mm, and then point. that's when the other then that's when the player signs. It's once the player signs his rookie scale contract, you got to wait 30 days. So that's what held up the Wiggins love trade. And that was more of a situation of they signed Wiggins, not knowing if LeBron was definitely coming or not. LeBron decided, and then it was make the trade. And then we all sat there and pretended like Kevin Love wasn't a Cavalier for a month. And then all of a sudden, magically, 30 days later, hey, look, this trade went through. What a surprise. So, you know, it's just a quirk of the way the NBA rules work. And, you know, a lot of it's to protect players from signing deals and then immediately being dealt by teams and things like that. Just because I brought up the Davis thing, which honestly I wasn't even planning on doing, and then my mind wandered, the uh, it and has a, a knack of, of happening to me, especially as it revolves around Anthony Davis. You don't have a crystal ball, nobody does, but you're pretty good at this stuff. Play out the the situation for me over the next year. Does he? I I don't believe, I don't think anyone does, that he is available right now, regardless. But a year from now, do you think he is? Do you think he wants to leave New Orleans, or are we just? having the conversation all year, having it again next summer, but then come the 2019-20 season, he's still with New Orleans. Yeah, so it's the first thing that always makes me laugh is, you know, this is how greedy um, everyone's gotten at Celtics fans. Oh, yeah. Is that here's this team on the cusp of the finals, potentially, and it's, hey, let's go add the best player, potentially, in the entire NBA that's not named LeBron James. Hey, you Warriors know, got to Marcus Cousins. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, that's, you know, they're, they're living in a different world from the rest of us sometimes, right. I think. But, you know, yeah, when you look at it, so let's flip it forward. I think that I want to touch on one thing you said 100% not available right now. The Pelicans have no desire to do that, nor does Anthony Davis have any desire to leave New Orleans. He has made that very clear time and time again. He wants to be in New Orleans. He wants to win there. He wants to do that. Now, let's say we're we're having this conversation in you know July, and the Pelicans have had a poor season and they didn't make the playoffs. So there was an early out or, you know, something happened that it all just kind of crumbled there. Now all of a sudden you've got Davis looking at it as saying, I'm headed into the prime years of my career and I've had some injury history. I'm going to get paid no matter where I am. So that doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to make a ton of money. You know, yeah, it'd be less somewhere else, but you know, you're talking, you know, essentially monopoly money at that point. Hmm. So what I think is this, that's that's the scenario you're, you know, it, it feels awful to root for it all to fall apart on another team. But if you're the Celtics, mm. that's the scenario you're looking for is to say, I want this thing to fall apart and go really, really poorly so that Davis finally says, you know what, I want out. The I'm, key marker to I'm comfortable rooting for another Davis. team to fail. I've been doing it with the Nets for years. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a little feels a little <laughs> more genuine to me because we knew for certain Boston had those. Picks yeah, exactly. Coming. So that's like, a, you know, at that point for the Nets, it's a sunk cost. Um, it's kind of funny just to divert for a quick second. I find myself more irrationally attached to the Nets than any other team in the NBA than the Celtics because I cover them oh. because we were so linked to them forever. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm, I'm invested in their young players. I know, right? Now and kind of rooting for them. Well, now. 
now they can succeed and it doesn't matter. But yeah, you were saying. Exactly. Yeah, we were all happy for them. Um, You know, but going back to Davis, what the key marker to watch is in next summer, he becomes eligible for the designated player veteran extension. That's that so-called super max or super duper max or whatever you (laughs) want to call it. If he turns that down like Kawhi Leonard did, that is a sign to me that he is not committed necessarily to staying in New Orleans long term because that does one of two things. Obviously, it locks him into a new contract if he signs it, but it also makes him untradeable for one full year from the time he signs that contract. Hmm. So what you're looking at there is if he doesn't sign it, that that says to me, oh, wait a minute. Now maybe there is a chance he doesn't necessarily want to be here long term. All right, let's get back to the depth that the Celtics have. Brad Stevens, after that throttling of the Sixers, said this. I thought that, our again, our depth was a big factor in the game. Whenever things started to go awry um, and we put new fresh guys in, they all made plays, and, you know, that's what it's got to be for us, and we're a long way from being really good. So there are a couple of things there. One, and, you know, you could say this is just one game, but it's not. This is a, a big part of who and what they are, their versatility, the ability to go with matchups in a whole slew of ways. But you saw it a lot in that first game. Marcus Morris was great. Aaron Baines was great. Terry Rozier was great. Marcus Morris, or rather Marcus Smart, was great, and on and on. But Brad is never going to, he's like Bill Belichick in that way. He's never going to say, oh, we're great, you know, where he's he's going to, He's going to take you down a, a peg or two as often as he can just to keep everybody's realities in check, especially after how how big everybody was talking about championships on media day and they go out and they just get embarrassed throughout the preseason. But with regard to the depth and that bench, Chris Forsberg had an interesting piece this week. I'm sure you saw Al Horford suggested that the Celts starting unit may be as talented as some NBA starting fives. So with the traditional starters in mind, we're talking about uh, you know, the the usual crew of Irving and Hayward and Brown and Tatum and uh, and Horford take them out. Then it's Rozier, Morris, Smart, Baines, Daniel Tice, who you said. Forsberg stacked them up next to Miami, Detroit, Charlotte, others. Do you think that group of reserves could make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, on, on their own, not, but they would, it would depend on what they have behind them. Uh, they, they they would be close though. I, I think they're you know certainly better than some of those teams that are more towards the bottom of the standings, the, the Knicks, the Hawks, the teams like that that are you know really trying to rebuild this thing and get it built back up. So they're they're probably in the mix. But you know yeah, look at it side by side with say the the Cavaliers. You know lineup that that's probably about where you're saying yeah they're probably pretty close there. They don't have anybody as good as Kevin Love, but their guys are as good as everybody else in that group. And if you get a couple decent bench guys behind them, yeah, they could probably make a run in the East. It is an interesting thought. It just it speaks to the like you said, the we we get so greedy as Celtics fans at this point in time, the embarrassment of riches that they have with that bench. But you could look at and we'll get maybe more to the reserves as as we have time throughout this show, but with the starters, I think people were particularly impressed going back to the postseason and then to open this year, Jason Tatum. I mean, he really surprised me, to be perfectly frank, opening night because he looked just like he did in the playoffs, but better. He was smooth. He was confident. He was attacking. And I don't believe it's going to be like that every night, especially those nights where Irving and Hayward are both on, which they were not against the Sixers. But is Tatum ahead of schedule? I mean, at what point is he undeniably Boston's second best option when you need a bucket? I, I think he's there today. 
Hmm. I think he's the second best guy behind Kyrie Irving. If you need a basket, you're giving it to Kyrie. I don't care if he's missed every shot he's taken to that point. You're going to give it to him and say, go get us a hoop or go make a play. Then it's it's Tatum, you know, which is may sound you know crazy, but he can just do more than anybody else on the roster. It, it's kind of funny that the next guy who could probably actually create a you know a, a look that he can get to the rim behind Tatum may be Marcus Morris, which sounds kind of funny. Hmm. But you, he's you know rarely he, he might take those contested long two pointers that that pull, cause us all to pull our hair out, but he always gets them to the rim. He always gets the shot off. But going back to, to Tatum, what impressed me on opening night was his game last year comprised primarily of two things for the majority of the season. Knocking down wide open jumpers, which he was fantastic at, or taking the ball all the way into the paint. And what we saw him do was, especially why Philly was switching Doyle and beat onto him, I don't that that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But Tatum would get it. He'd take that ball, pull it back out, and then he would make plays off the bounce. It wasn't a wonderable pull-up either. This was multiple you know, dribbles, get the defender leaning the wrong way, and get that shot up. And that's what we started to see really towards the end of last year, and now we're starting to see that blossom. Once a guy hits that level, now you're saying he's unlocked his entirety of his offensive game. So I had sent out a tweet right before the season just putting out a slew of predictions for fun because it's what we do. And one of my opinions was, and still is, but already looks bad, was that uh, I think Tatum is going to, just because of the sheer, again, depth and the options and the versatility and the talent that exists, especially in the starting five, never mind the bench, I think Tatum's going to average around 16 points a year as opposed to the 20 that some believe that he's going to land at. And as we saw opening night, it was, what, 23? So he's And there are going to be plenty of times that he goes over 20, obviously, but I think there are going to be those quieter nights when, again, Irving or Hayward or whomever it may be is going off. I think he's going to land around 16 or so, 16, 17. What do you think? Is, is he going to cross that 20 threshold already? Yeah, I'd be surprised if he crosses the 20, um, not because he doesn't have the ability to. I think if he's on a lot of other teams, he is the number one option. Sure. And then they're just throwing him the ball and letting him go get it. So I think what you're looking at uh, here with Tatum is there's going to be those nights where, like you said, Kyrie's got it going and Kyrie's going to take 20 shots. Or Steven says, you know what, let's make sure we get Gordon Hayward the ball. Let's make sure Al Horford gets it. And there's going to be those nights. He, he played well, almost 29 minutes on opening night. There's going to be those nights where he might only play 20 minutes because mm-hmm. they could be rolling a team. And at that point, it's going to be, you know, well, why, why do I need him out there? I, I'm not going to leave him out there to score. Brad Stevens is not a guy who looks at it and says, well, let's make sure guys get their numbers. He doesn't care about that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more important. Let's get, let's get him out there. And the Celtics, more more than a lot of teams, a lot of NBA teams, just because there's not time in the regular season, you run your system. But they, because of their ability and Stevens' ability as a coach, there's a lot of times when what they'll do is they'll, they'll adapt game by game to how they want to attack. And it can be tonight's a Tatum night. Let's attack. And I think that's what we saw right away with Philly. They said, geez, they're switching everything. That's the guy then. Let's ride him and see where we go with this. And so you're going to have these big scoring nights. And then you're going to have other nights where he plays just fine, but it's just, it's, they don't need it. And it's not going to be, you know, his night. And that's going to keep their stats down. I think that's a general case across the board with the roster. So where do you think he's going to average? 
I would say probably what you said, somewhere in that 16, 17 range. And I think he'll, he'll get that on really good efficiency, uh, both, you know, uh, the traditional field goal percentages as well as, you know, efficiency with, with the shots he's taking and the like. I just, you know, it, it's going to be one of those things where if you're a, you know, a guy in a fantasy league who's looking for counting stats, you might mm. be a little disappointed because it might be a little up and down. But if you're really looking at it in course of what makes a player successful, you're going to be like, wow, this is, you know, kind of off the charts numbers. By midseason, if all goes well, if all goes according to plan, Hayward could be the second-best offensive option. I I think a lot of people have forgotten what he did in Utah where he was the guy, especially that last year and into the playoffs where he was even better. And uh, we know he's going to be slowed by this injury, still working his way back. Adam Adam Hemblesbach of the Globe was on the show last week, said that Hayward just isn't there yet. And, well, this is what Hayward had to say after game one. A couple of the off-the-dribble pull-ups that I had were stuff that I've done for a while, so that's the most, like, I'm, I'm used to doing that, and that was good. Definitely still a long ways to go for me uh, to be where I want to be at, but it was a great first step, great team victory. A lot of that was expected, Keith, and there's going to be that ebb and flow, but are you concerned about what you've seen from him so far and, and just where you envision him being in the next couple of months? Uh, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm there as far as I think it's going to take a little bit of time. What was encouraging for me was in the second half, he was really aggressive getting into the paint, which I think is you know a great sign that he trusts his body a little bit more. And I think now it's just getting his legs under him, really, you know, figuring out his place, you know, within the system. They, they, what was so sad about his injury last year, beyond just the injury itself, if as you look at the team perspective, is that. He was they the way they played last year in the preseason. It was like holy cow, look at this, look mm-hmm. at the way this ball moves. The ball is popping all over the place, and then he went down. And now it's he's going to kind of rediscover and refit in with all the uh, rest of the guys. And you know what's exciting to to for me is when they unlock him as a playmaker. That's what's going to really lift this offense to a whole other level. People under eight, how good of a passer Gordon Hayward is. There's points where someone said he's the best passer on the entire team. And that is you know, really impressive for a guy who at this point is you know, going to play the selfish way that we're kind of Al Horford's alone big and then everybody else is a you know, two through four player and I think Hayward can really do a lot of things to unlock offense for his teammates that we're not you know expecting him to do and that's going to be what's really going to be fun to see the shooting will come you know I'm not too worried about that it's just gonna gonna be a while unfortunately again to go all the way back to the depth conversation they can afford to let it you know come as it comes for for him and figure it out as they go one thing that I did love about Hayward's first game, and again, I'm not focusing on the first game necessarily because I think this is going to be a consistent thing every single game, his defense. Danny Ainge has talked about this too in, in recent days. Hayward was engaged on that end. He was typically in the right spot. He had the four steals, didn't even play that many minutes, 25 minutes. That end seemed to be more important to him than the offense, frankly, just trying to fit in that way. He was kind of Horford-like in that regard, and I, I know that comparison's been made before, how surprised do you think fans are going to be by the technical nuances of Hayward's game and and not just the passing, but obviously the other end of the floor? Because so many people didn't watch him in Utah, and they're really just starting to get that first look at him. Yeah, it's going to be a surprise for a lot of people, and not you know to kind of kind of call it out as what it is. He uh, 
He doesn't necessarily always have the makeup of what people think of as a good um, NBA defender. It's you know he you know to put it quite frankly, he's a you know a, a white guy who plays on the wing. A lot of times those guys are <laughs> guys who they're on the floor for other things, right? And that's you know that's okay. You know we all get it. We 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 know what it is. You know when you follow the league. What I think was really cool was he obviously spent a lot of time out of necessity, but also because he could building up his upper body um, in this, this past off season as he recovered from, from the, you know, the leg injury. And what I like with that is one, because Boston loves to switch everything and two, they're, they're going to ask him to play bigger players on a very regular basis. And I thought he really held his own as Simmons tried to get him inside a few times and Dario Saric tried to post him up. He was fine. And it's like, go ahead try and post me up. I'm right here. You know, I'm as strong as can be. And then what I be beyond that is not only can he hold his spot, but he's also quick enough to get around and, you know, knock passes away. He's a very smart player, you know, where he's still good at getting in the passing lane. And I think it's, he really fits in well with this, you know, kind of amoeba type defense that Brad Stevens prefers where it's, Hey, you just get done, go cover the guy who you need to cover and make it happen. I think, I think we're going to see in a lot of respects and it showed on opening night, He's going to be further ahead on that end of the floor than he may be offensively. Okay, quick break to tell you today's show also brought to you by 1 in 100. And I'll be honest with you, even I had to look up what 1 in 100 is. So let me tell you, let's say you want to go to an upcoming Celtics game, but tickets on the secondary market can get hilariously expensive, like way too much. You want a more affordable way to get to the game? Well, give 1 in 100 a shot. All you do is log on to 1in100.co. That's O-N-E-I-N, the number, 100. Co. Click the game you want to go to, buy a raffle ticket for the chance to win a pair of tickets. The price of the raffle ticket, just one hundredth of the price of what 1 in 100 paid for the ticket. Still confused? Well, let's say 1 in 100 paid $1,000 for the pair. Your cost for the raffle ticket, 10 bucks. Only 100 people get to buy a raffle ticket, so you have 1 in 100 chance to win the tickets. It's that simple. This is the newest way to buy tickets to sporting events. The cost to potentially score some tickets is a small fraction of the actual ticket price. Score a pair of tickets for less than a cost of beer. Your first raffle ticket is free after signing up. Log on to oneein100.co. Feeling lucky? Give it a shot today. Let's go back to Keith. In that first game, forget individual production or even how great the defense looked on the whole because, like I said, those results... They can be different game to game. They can vary a little bit between uh, – they certainly will in, in the games to come between this show and the next show overall, so never mind just Toronto. But one thing that supports a trend that I expect all year, and I've talked about this in the preseason shows, I don't think either Gordon or Kyrie Irving are – I don't think either one of them is going to average 30 minutes or more than 30 minutes. I think they're both, by the end of the year – going to be in that 28 to 30 range and I think it's partially because they're coming off of injuries and I think it's also just the what Brad showed us last year which is that he has no interest in playing his guys a ton of minutes everyone's going to get an opportunity when they're blowing teams out guys are going to sit like you said before going to be rest nights that'll impact averages clearly but I just think on the whole what you saw that first game where I think nine guys played between 19 and 30 minutes you're going to see that most nights, and I think those two guys in particular, they're not going to be playing 32, 34, 36 minutes a night. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and, that's, and I would also throw Al Horford into that group as well. They, he, Stevens is going to take care of his veterans 
and you know again it's not to beat a dead horse here but the depth you know it's just there to allow them to be able to do that and, and i think if guys are at you know much over 30 it's going to be because instead of getting rest during games they get entire games off and that right. might lead to you know all right you played 34 minutes and then tomorrow we're just gonna you know not play at all and it's 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 always important to know that there's there's two forms of currency in the nba there's a very real currency of money and that is the most important thing to most players and then the next is minutes it's playing time and that's what the coach controls a lot of these guys they could make 20 million dollars a year and they're gonna fume if they don't get in the game and get their 30 minutes i think what the celtics have been able to do here is get the right kind of guys with the right mindset of you know hey we're gonna really you know have the long range in mind here our end goal is to compete for a championship and be there at the end and the best way to do that is have everybody in the 25 to 30 minute range and i think everybody's good with that the guy who would you know seemingly be maybe the one to chafe at that the most would be Kyrie irving and i think he's the guy who more so than anyone else on the roster knows what it takes to be there at the end of the season competing mm-hmm. for titles so i think you're looking at it as Kyrie's like sure you know hey that's all right and, and i think what's gonna what's gonna be more interesting to me than the minutes per game is when guys are playing that's the thing I think that's going to be really important to watch over the first month or so of the season because the last couple of years they've had their preferred closing lineup that they like to close halves and games with. This year, I don't know that Rozier and Smart are necessarily going to every night be a part of that. So that's going to be something that's going to be really important to watch and see you know, where it goes. And I think Stevens has a few more options, so I don't know that it's going to be the same guys in there. I know a lot of people, game one, Kyrie didn't close. Well, the game was over. You know, he came right. out with four minutes left. It was a double-digit game. So, you know, yeah, the, 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 suppose the Sixers could have made a run. But it wasn't like he came out and took his sneakers off. He was sitting right there ready to go mm-hmm. if, if Stevens called his number again. So I think we're, you know, in pretty good shape, you know, as far as that goes. But it's going to be something that's that's good to monitor as they get into these closer games where Stevens needs to make real lineup decisions versus, hey, let's just let the clock run out and get get out of here with a victory. Well, and the other thing, too, Keith, with Kyrie, and I just I, I think, you know, I, I get so many mentions on, on my Twitter feed and people that expect Kyrie to just be Kyrie always at all times and nothing in the past is relevant or matters, and so therefore he's going to score 25, 26 points every night. I just, I don't think that's true. I think he's going to average 29, 30 in terms of minutes. I think he's going to average maybe 22 points a game because the offense is so distributed. And somebody said this to me on Twitter, and I, I hadn't thought about it, but I think it's true. And I think it's why, to your point, he kind of embraces the whole not chafing it, not playing a ton of minutes if that ends up being the reality. Kyrie's been in the league a while, and he's been hurt a lot mm-hmm. over those years. He's had a number of injuries. He we talked we talked about it a lot at the time that they traded for him. He doesn't play full seasons. He just doesn't. And you hope he's there at the end as he has been a few times and had some great moments in the playoffs with Cleveland and especially the finals where he hit one of the biggest shots that we've ever seen. But he's an old 26. You know, he's 26 years old, but he's an old 26. And I don't say that to crap on the guy. I think it's just sort of a reality. It doesn't make him less good or anything like that. I just think he's, it's not just maturity in the way that he speaks and thinks. I think his body is an old 26. 
Yeah, I think you're you know right on with that. He's you know had a lot of injuries, a lot of lower body injuries too, which are really tough for guards because when you're that small, you lose any of that explosion or quickness, that can be it. You're done. And you know, so far he's you know, always rebounded from it pretty well and you know bounced back. But one thing that I my, one of my favorite numbers from game one, he had seven assists. Right. And he's never averaged more than six assists per game in a season. I've got him on the over this year, Keith. I've said that. I, I'm, yeah, I'm there. I think there's a good chance he's going to way blow past that. And I think what we're going to see is Kyrie in in most games and in throughout most games, he's going to embrace the role of, I can be a playmaker now. I don't have to drive into the paint 200 times a game and get beat up and knocked to the ground and you know, kicked all over the place. I can, you know, get in there, get the ball out and make plays for my buddy because he also knows. But when we need a basket, I'm going to go get it because I can still do that. But I think, you know, you're going to see it almost start out the way he started out, you know, game one where he kind of just let the game come to him, which that wasn't Kyrie's style. Mm -mm. You know, Kyrie's style was always, give me that rock, I'm going to go make it happen. And I think especially last year we saw a lot of that early because it's like, hey, it's my team. You know, look at this. You know, I don't. <laughs> and he had just lost Gordon. James guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now you're looking at it as I think he's you know kind of seeing the bigger picture here. Hey, wait a minute, I can still get mine, but I can let it kind of come to me a little bit more, and I can play off some of these guys, which I think he's really looking forward to too. So that I just think Kyrie Irving, really the entire roster, I think are all. I think Danny Ainge has prized these guys who fit in with what Brad Stevens and Ainge combined vision is of. We want smart, versatile guys who are who are about the team first. And I can't think of a guy on the roster who is not doesn't have that kind of mental makeup as far as hey, I want to do what's best here because that's what's ultimately what's best for the team is going to be what's best for me in the long run too. There are hot takes all over the place. That's what happens when you're good. People talk about you a lot, and a lot of people say stupid things. Shannon Sharp was on FS1 as he always is. Said even when Kyrie plays his best night. Tatum might be the best player on the ball club. Skip Bayless said that he would take Marcus Morris over Gordon Hayward. There's a lot of stupid out there right now, Keith, in my opinion. (laughs) Maybe you agree with those things. I don't think you do. I think they're stupid. But, you know, I've been done before, too. I've said that uh, routinely. I've said that I think Marcus Smart is going to be a 36% shooter from three. Clearly, we are still waiting on that to happen. What are some of your hottest takes about this team or any of its players? Yeah, I think my um, probably hottest take would be that, and this, you know, I know it doesn't always play well in the Boston area, is that Al Horford continues to be the most underappreciated player in the entire NBA. And I'm going to go as far as say in Celtics history. Hmm. I don't think there has been a Celtic that has taken more crap for what he isn't with less recognition of what he is than Al Horford has. So that, you know, really, you know, gets me there. And then my other hot, I guess, semi-hot take, it's not going to be a hot take in Boston, but it is around the NBA. I think they finished with the NBA's best regular season record this year. That doesn't mean they're the best team, but I just don't see them going into that game in, you know, early February in, you know, Orlando or in, you know, Atlanta and throwing up a crapper because if somebody's not playing well, 
there's somebody behind him who's probably ready to go. It's going to be pretty far, few and far between when the entire roster has an off night together just because of how deep they are. So so those are my two things. Player-specific is Al Horford does not get nearly enough credit for what he is versus the amount of crap he takes for what he isn't. And I think they're going to finish with the regular season's best record in the entire NBA. Well, since you brought up that last point, I was going to ask you this uh, before we signed off, though we're not too far from that at this point anyhow. Um, we're early in the year, clearly. What's your prediction for the C's for this year in terms of that record? What do you think the number will be, win total, and where do you think they finish in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they're going to be somewhere in the um, low to mid-60s, so somewhere in that probably 62 to 64 win range, which is, you know, that's a lot. Um, that would have, you know, had them right up there at the top last season. I think that'll be be the best record, not necessarily the best team. Again, Golden State's going to be really good. They just they don't need to push, you know, it's hard. But I think the Celtics, again, long range in mind, if they can get to a Game Seven in the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe even in the NBA Finals at home in Boston, they know what a difference that is compared to anybody else. And to finish out that prediction, I think they're going to go to the NBA Finals. I do think that they'll lose to the Warriors, and I've, I've picked the Warriors in six games, and I think it's just the Warriors are just that good, and I'm not – I'm pretty dumb sometimes, but I'm not dumb <laughs> enough to pick against them. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you basically on both those counts. I, I, the win total's a little high for me. I, I'm trying to think of what I had the Mac coming in. I think it was 58, 59, something like that. I think they'll they'll approach 60, but they won't quite get there. But, well, we'll, we'll end with this because – if the Seas are going to go out and they're going to be that good, you know, within the East, we keep talking about the Raptors and we'll see what they and Kawhi are over the course of time and Sixers, who they just beat the hell out of and Joel Embiid after the game. JJ mentioned it earlier. This is not a rivalry. Uh, I don't know why record against them, but it's pretty bad. They always kick our ass, so uh, this is not a robbery. They do. They always kick their ass. And this goes back to before Embiid, but the Celtics have won 19 of the last 22, including the playoffs, against the Sixers. So I bring all of that up just to, to preface to ask you this. Nationally, the people take it for granted, and I think a lot of people do around here as well, that the East just belongs to the Celtics now that LeBron is gone. And I've had that conversation. I'm certain you have, too. Are we too cocky, or does Danny Ainge just have all of this that well mapped out? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's, um, you know, I want to see what they are against Toronto first. We'll get a you know sense of that here in the second game of the season for both teams. That'll be, you know, we'll start to get an idea, but that's, you know, nothing's going to be decided, obviously, in game number two. But we'll start to get an idea there. It, but beyond that, I think that's the competition level. Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Indiana, if you really love them, those teams are all a pretty good level below a healthy Celtics team. And even Toronto, they're they're really good. I just don't think they have the kind of all time, you know, super great regular season team. Um, potential that Boston, you know, could have. So it, it's tough. It's it's cocky, but it's deserved because in a post LeBron East, nobody is set up better for the Celtics, both for this year and then multiple seasons down the line. All right, Keith Smith covers the NBA for Real GM, the Celtics blog site as well. Keith, always a great time having you on. A lot of good insights, and uh, look forward to doing it again soon as the season moves along. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, just like I said off the top, I'm excited the season's back, and you know we're back at it. This is you know my my you know favorite time of the year is you know when basketball is in season. So I'm just glad we're here. Awesome chat with Keith. Really enjoy having him on. We'll do it again soon for sure.
Today's show brought to you by LinkedIn. Hurry now to linkedin.com slash Celtics and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash Celtics to get $50 off your first job post. The show also brought to you by 1 in 100. Log on to onein100.co. Get a free raffle ticket when you sign up. Feeling lucky? Give it a shot today. Thanks again to Keith. My producer, Evan Valenti, thanks as well to Nick, to Larry, to John, everyone else at CLNS. And as I always say, thanks mostly to you. Really appreciate you. Subscribe, please, on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find us. Search Celtics Beat, and you can just join the, the thousands that listen every week. And that is not exaggeration. We do very well around here, and that is because of you and your loyalty and your dedication. And again, show's going to be moving off to Sunday real soon. We'll keep you posted on that. When you go to iTunes, by the way, you can leave a comment, a rating, whatever it is. We just enjoy hearing from you. And you can get me on Twitter, where I will always hear from you, at Adam M. Kaufman. Hopefully all these Red Sox tweets aren't driving you nuts. But you know what? They're in the World Series. I can't help myself. And part of my job when I'm not doing this show. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Gino, get us out of here. 